Don't you just love a good comeback story? There's something in us that are just hardwired to love a good comeback. Whether it's our favorite sports team coming back in the fourth quarter, whether it's our favorite sports uh, uh, memory like Miracle on Ice back in the 80s. You guys remember that? I don't. I was born in the late 80s, so I don't remember it, but I saw the Disney movie. Kurt Russell, that halftime speech, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, there isn't halftime in hockey. <laughs> Intermission? What do they call those in between the periods? Intermission. Whatever, I was inspired. I don't need the details. It was great. More my generation, the Mighty Ducks. Okay, also hockey. Intermission, Gordon Bombay. Quack, quack, quack. Where are we going? What am I doing? All right. And then I think of other comebacks, right? Someone falls victim to a serious injury or something. And against all odds, they fight their way back through that pain. And, and they're doing incredible things you never thought possible. Or even just someone, you know, someone, some, someone insults you or something. And then you have a witty comeback. And we like witty comebacks, right? We're wired to like a good comeback. Everybody loves a good comeback. And today is the final message in our series on the life and faith of Elijah. And today is all about his great comeback. When we last left, excuse me, when we last left Elijah, you may recall he was depressed and distraught in the cave. He was in the midst of his letdown. And we saw that God met him gently in that low place and called him to keep doing what prophets do. You have more work to do yet, Elijah. There's still work to be done. And you'll remember Elijah was beaten down. He wished he were dead. And while at the same time also being terrified of dying at Jezebel's hand. And not just that, he was terrified and believed falsely that he was all alone. But God calls him to prepare the way, and one of the tasks God calls him to is to find a man with a very similar name, coincidentally, Elisha. And Elisha will carry on the prophetic work once Elijah's time is done. That's where we, we, we begin in God's word today with 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. This is the calling of Elisha. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to it. We're going to flip quite a bit throughout this uh, series. It will also be on the screen for you. But 1 Kings 19, starting at verse 19. Hear the true word of the Lord. So Elijah departed from there, that is the cave, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. He was with the twelve. Now Elijah passed by him, and he cast his cloak upon him. And then Elisha, he left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah, and he said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. Elijah said to him, go back again, for what have I done with you? What have I done to you? So Elisha returned from following him. He took the yoke of oxen, he sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Now there's Elisha in himself is a fascinating person. 
And we did, we, we covered that specific passage from Elijah's perspective on a past message. I'll have to email it out or something this week because I don't have it memorized what day that was. But we have that. You can listen to that. But we're focusing here on Elijah. And did you notice that all signs right now point to him still just not having any of it? He's, he, he just came out of the cave. He heard God's gentle, loving whisper. He heard that there's 7,000 others who have not bowed down to the false gods Baal. And yet here he goes to call Elisha to do what God called him to do. And look at how he does it. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Where's the pomp? Where's the circumstance? Where, 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 where's any excitement? Shoot, where's a single word from Elijah? Nothing. He simply, half-heartedly puts his cloak on Elisha without a word and moves on. You saw Elisha, he's, it's almost like, huh, what? What's happening here? And he runs to catch up to Elijah, and that's what's going on. Have you ever had a really bad day, like a really bad start to your day, but you still have to go to work? Yeah, this is what it reminds me of. Have you ever worked customer service and you deal with people nonstop and you're just completely over it and yet you still have to go out there and go through the motions? Yeah, Elijah was going through the motions. But he wasn't selling shoes. He's calling Elisha into a prophetic ministry for the Lord. Except it wasn't Elijah who was doing it, was it? It was God through Elijah. You see, by putting his cloak over him, he was throwing his mantle over him. Your cloak was one of the most important garments you had back in the ancient Middle East. It, it protected you from, from the weather. You could roll it up. You use it as a pillow or as a blanket at night. It, it was all important piece of clothing. And for a prophet, for him, it represented the prophetic mantle being placed on Elijah. It's like handing the baton, okay? It's a similar type of act. You will be get, continue the work I've begun. But it's not me who calls you, it's God. Because look at what he said to him when, when Elijah confronts him. He says, go back again for what have I done to you? And that sounds rude, kind of is rude, but it's not Elijah who's doing it. He was just doing God's will here. God is the one calling Elisha. And Elijah, he seems so whatever about this still. And yet... If you pay attention, this is a sign of grace. This is a sign of grace because Elijah, who is so afraid of being alone, no longer will be alone. Elisha followed after him and assisted him. So Elijah, he's still not out of it. I don't believe. I don't see any indication that the, 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 the faith-filled uh, man, Elijah, that we saw before is standing before us here. I think he's just trying to get by He's still feeling the letdown, going through the motions. So let's go to the next time we see him in God's word. That's in 1 Kings 21, starting at verse 17. 1 Kings 21, 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise and go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel. Remember Ahab, Mount Carmel, Ahab, Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria, now behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, where he had gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? 
And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick your own blood. Now it fast forwards on its own here to Ahab responding to Elijah. That tells us Elijah spoke that word to Ahab. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And Elijah answered, Oh, I found you. Because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut you off from Ahab, every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, and the anger for the anger to what you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. Oh, and of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the, hope, in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. Welcome to Hope Church. We're here to share the good news of God with you all. Now, that is the Elijah I remember receiving the unedited word of the Lord and presenting boldly the word of the Lord before his enemies. He is boldly confronting Ahab, and not just that, he is speaking against Jezebel, the very one from whom he was terrified that she was going to kill him. That's a difference. That's a stark difference from what we just saw when he called Elisha. So what changed? What changed from then to now? If you skipped from 1 Kings 18 to here in chapter 21, you would never have guessed Elijah had his cave moment. You would never have guessed that he was in the letdown. You would never have guessed he was fighting with despair and depression and distress, wanting and longing to die. I wonder how many of us hide that from people as well. I wonder how many of us choose to retreat uh, during those dark moments and those dark chapters, and then we try and reemerge, and people have no idea what we've been through. My encouragement is invite people in. Don't push them away. But here is Elijah confronting the king, not just confronting him, but telling him that God is going to destroy him. Now, if you want context on why God's language is so harsh, go back into our reading plan and read about what Ahab has done continually uh, in his disobedience of the Lord and leading others in that disobedience. But he's not just going to destroy him, he's going to destroy Jezebel. Now, all this does come to pass. Ahab actually repents a little bit. So it, the way it comes about, God gives him like a little grace period. Uh, but then Jezebel's death is actually very graphic, and it is accurate that the blood and the dogs, all that does happen. But for Elijah, something has changed. Could this be a comeback? Or is it just a fluke? Let's move on to 2 Kings chapter 1 and see, next time we see Elijah, what's going on. So, some context. Ahab is now dead. Ahaziah is his son, and he continues the evil deeds of his father before him. 
This man, his son Ahaziah, he falls ill and he sends messengers to ask a false god if he's going to recover. But the one true God, knowing everything that's going on, sends Elijah to intercept the messengers and sends them back to Ahaziah with a message. And his message to Ahaziah is basically, why do you dare ask this false god? Am I not the one true God of Israel? And then he tells him, hey, you're not going to get better from this sickness. And now, because of this, you will surely die. That's the message Elijah sends back to Ahab's son. Ahaziah knows that it's Elijah who gave the messengers this dire warning. So let's pick up from there, 2 Kings 1, verse 9. So then the king sent to him, that is Elijah, a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, the messenger, that is, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And so fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. We're full of good news today. Fire from heaven! That's like Elijah's thing, man. Fire from heaven. So it isn't mentioned explicitly what Ahaziah wants by asking Elijah to come to him, but all sources are kind of indicating that essentially it's to kill Elijah. We've had enough of this, Elijah, uh, of you talking against us and keep bringing us back into the one true God. High chance that he was going to bring him before him to kill him. But Elijah is not afraid. He's so not afraid. He did the one thing all of us know you don't do. He killed the messenger. But he did it. If I am a man of God, let fire come down. It was God who actually did it. King sends another captain with 50 men. And Elijah gives the same exact answer. And once again, fire from God comes down from heaven calls down fire from heaven. He's resembling his old, faithful, and bold self. And so the king, apparently it's really hard for him to learn from his mistakes. He sends another captain with another 50 men. But this captain, possibly because he knew what happened to the other two captains, he goes about things a little differently. He honors and respects Elijah. Probably feared for his life. But he calls him, oh, man of God. He acknowledges him, man of God. And then he says, these 50 soldiers, these servants of yours, will you spare us? We have a message for you. He pleads with them to spare their lives. Please come with us to the king. Don't kill the messenger. Maybe that's where it came from. Second Kings 1.15, look at this. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah arose. He went down with him to the king. To get the rest of that account, you can pick up reading on your own, 2 Kings 1. But we're staying focused on Elijah. What changed? What changed? What changed from just putting a cloak on Elisha to, to cowering in the cave to now boldly saying, if I'm a man of God, which he clearly is, God's going to send fire down from heaven. God's grace that met him in the famine God's grace that met him in the drought. God's grace that met him in the miracles. God's grace that met him in the cave continues to be with him every single step of his journey. The angel 
Notice this. The angel, for the first time, speaking the word of the Lord, says to Elijah, Oh, do not be afraid of him. We see that all over Scripture. Angels telling others, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But it's usually about encountering the angel or God. Do not be afraid. We've never yet had any angel or the word of the Lord tell Elijah he need not be afraid. But God knows of Elijah's past fears. And so what does God do but say the word that Elijah needs? You might be afraid he's going to kill you, but you need not be afraid because I'm still with you. Do not be afraid. God is giving extra care to the servant that he loves. And God will give you extra care and grace as you are fighting your way out of that low place. There is no place you can go where his grace won't already be. There's no place you can go. You can go to Battle Creek. You can go to Sturgis, Detroit. You can go to the UP. You can go to your house. You can go to school. You can go to work. There is no place you can go where his grace won't already be. What else changed? Let's look at 2 Kings 2 to get us a little bit of help here to show us part of the answer. When the, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, spoilers, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now this happens two more times. Okay, the same kind of thing. The Lord is sending me here, and as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you, is Elisha's answer. He's having none of it. How many times throughout their shared ministry do you believe Elijah tried to leave Elisha? He put his cloak on him and he just kept on going. He didn't wait for him. And Elisha had to catch up. And here, near their end, surely they've done a lot of stuff together uh, between the text, right? And uh, here, Elijah is saying, stay here. The Lord's sending me. And Elijah says, I'm having none of that. I'm with you to the end. I'm with you to the end. What else changed for Elijah to bring him through the letdown? I believe it's that God brought him Elisha. Elijah puts his cloak on him while he still felt dejected. But Elisha is like that pesky friend that just won't stop. You have any of those? They just love you so well, and sometimes you just don't want to be loved. I just want to be in my pit of despair and stop trying to care for me, right? Elisha was there. Elisha was there. Elisha loved and served the Lord and clearly cared for Elijah. Over and over in 2 Kings 2, Elijah tells Elisha to stay here. And his response, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. I bet he said this, who knows, 200 times, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's possibility. I don't know. Maybe it's just here, but it seems to be a thing for them. And then look at this. Continuing our passage from verse 11. As they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. 
and he saw him, Elijah, no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into pieces. Anytime you read of folks tearing their garments in Scripture, it's a sign of deep grief. Sometimes repentance, but often deep grief. Elisha is equal parts struck in awe and also despair over the loss of his friend. But we're staying focused on Elijah. And check this out. Elijah's greatest fear was to die. His greatest fear was death, and he doesn't die. He is only one of two people in all of Scripture that, that does not die, but that God takes into heaven. The other is Enoch. Uh, there's two of those, but uh, an Enoch, and it's pretty cool. But he's only one of two people in the whole Bible not to die. Even Jesus dies. He feared death. He doesn't die. He was also, what? Worried he would be all alone, but he was not alone for the rest of his life. Elijah never experienced the things that he feared the most. For many of us, many of us, the things we fear, the biggest things we fear, our biggest worry, the largest what-ifs, we'll never experience because God will lift us above it. But also, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So for some of us, by God's grace, we'll be lifted above us, but for some of us, we won't. But even if the greatest fear that we carry does come to pass, God will be with you through it. You've heard me say it before. If God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. Back to last week. The letdown. Remember I let you all down? The letdown. The letdown. Elijah could have refused to get out of that cave. He could have stayed in that place. He could have just, just, just not done anything. But he got up. He went back to serving the Lord. And as he got up, he met God's grace. And as he stepped forward, he met God's grace. And even though the journey was hard, he stepped forward again, and he met God's grace. He may not have been enthusiastic about it at first, as like when he called Elisha, but he still obeyed the Lord. Even like you may recall Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We will not bow down, for if you throw us into that fiery furnace, surely our Lord will save us. Three all-important words. But if not, we will still worship the Lord. God may rescue you through your biggest fear, but even if not, we will still step forward with sorrow and a living hope because we are Christians and we know where our hope resides. Elijah stepped forward and God honored his faithfulness. Elijah was able to change the narrative handed in the lies he was believing to believe in the truths of God, even if it took him a while to believe it again. Even if he had to fake it till he made it, right? Had he stayed in that cave, there would have been no comeback for Elijah. His greatest fear of death, his greatest fear of being alone, likely would have come his way. He would not be remembered for great victory, 
but rather his great sorrow. But that is not what he's known for. You see, come back today has a double meaning. It's not just coming back from the letdown. It's, it's that his fame, his faithfulness, his renown, it spread. As you read the Gospels, you see people saying, are you Elijah to Jesus? You see, the Old Testament ends with a prophecy of Elijah's return. You read that this week in your reading plan. 400 years pass and people are looking and longing for first the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and also the promised return of a prophet like Elijah. He was the most famous of all the prophets. We see that grow by how he's talked about in the New Testament. People ask Jesus, are you Elijah? He said, who do people say I am? Some say you're a prophet like Elijah. But what does Jesus say? Oh, no, no, no. John the Baptist, who came before me, he filled the role of Elijah. That was Elijah. That was the role of Elijah. He prepared the way. He was the one to come and tell others of what God is now up to. But here's the comeback, the other comeback, because Elijah does come back, and it's in the most amazing way. Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light, and just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Elijah never died. He was never alone. He was taken to heaven to be with God forever. And here, he is present at the transfiguration. Clearly a sign of his high place in heaven as he represents the prophets just as Moses represents the law. Now that, my friends, is a comeback. That is a comeback. But the beauty is that none of it happened on Elijah's own power. He simply stepped forward in faith and God took it from there. From Mount Carmel to the Mount of Transfiguration, God is at work. But when we talk about comebacks, don't you dare ignore the most amazing comeback to ever occur. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried in the grave, but death could not hold him. And three days later, he rose again. That is our Lord and Savior. None have gone lower than Jesus Christ. None have been raised up higher than Jesus Christ. That means wherever you are, wherever you go, Jesus is there. Wherever you go, there goes his grace. No matter how low, he's gone lower. No matter where you are, he will meet you there and bring you back. Because he went to the cross for you to bring you back to him. When he said, when he saw that we were dead in our transgressions, in our sins, he said, I'll make a way. And he did. That, my friends, is the greatest comeback story in the history of the universe. We proclaim it by saying Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will, what? Come again. He's coming back. He's coming back. And until that great and glorious final comeback when he makes all things right again, we, here and now, can step forward right here 
because his grace is here with us. He has work for us to do. He is right here. He calls us a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And if you've given him your life, then my friend, that means you have come back. That means you have a comeback story of your own to share, to speak Jesus, to share of his greatness, to tell others how he met you in your cave moments and he brought you back and he brought you through. The setup, the showdown, the letdown, the comeback. Just four quick messages on the life and ministry of Elijah. But we know it's all just a part of God's great story of redemption. And you have your own chapters in his great story of redemption. You are a part of his same ongoing story of redemption. You have scars. You have pains. You have cave moments. Guess what? Your scars are your story because you're still here living and breathing and you can say God is still good. God is still at work. You are not alone. You are not alone. God is with you. And whatever he calls you to, he will see you through. We give God all honor, praise, glory now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for how you are at work in this world. There's not a moment that you take a break, God, <laughs> and we thank you. We thank you for sustaining this universe and sustaining our lives. And God, we dare not minimize the hardships and realities that all of us go through, God, because the pains we feel are real. The hurts we feel are real. The scars we bear come with significant pain. But Lord, we pray that through your spirit, you can give us the faith to say, even still, God, you are good. We see it in your word. We see it in our life. And we believe it. So God, for those right now who are in the letdown in the cave, we pray that we may have a comeback. God, for those of us that have had a comeback story in the past, we pray that you give us the courage to share that with others to point them to you, Jesus, to you and how you have brought us through. And God, even for those of us that it's not in your plan or your path to pull us out of this darkness, we can say that we still have hope because though we may not experience in this lifetime, we know when we die because of what your son has done for us that we have a living hope that we will live forever where there be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more heartache, no more low moments or cave moments, but only worshiping you in fullness now and forevermore when we see you face to face. That's our assurance. That's our hope that we believe because of what you have done, because of your love for us. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that we have this and may we never lose sight of it. You are so good to us, and we love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.